Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conversations with the Co-op. This is where we source questions from the Index Co-op community to gain insights from today's leaders in crypto and DeFi. I'm your host, Crypto Texan. And on this week's episode, we have Teddy Woodward from Notional Finance with us here today. Thanks for being here with us today, Teddy. How's everything going? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excited to have you on. So we usually just like to start off with your background and how did you get into crypto and decentralized finance? I started my career as a interest rate swap trader at uh, Barclays Investment Bank. So I started my career in, you know, very traditional finance. I, I worked in London in uh, Canary Wharf, if anybody's familiar with that. I worked there for, for about four years before leaving, I think, you know, early 2018. So basically right around the peak of the last cycle, I left that job because, you know, I, I, to be honest, I, I didn't really like working for a bank. I liked, I liked trading and, and doing all that stuff. but. Uh, I didn't really like working for a bank. So I, I left I left that job to trade crypto for a family office in London in 2018 and then stuck around there for, for about 18 months. And while I was doing that, I think DeFi was like basically just starting. So, you know, I don't think Compound was even live yet at that time. I was really interested in DeFi right away, like right from the beginning. I thought it was... I thought, you know, it seemed to me that it was the actual realization of, you know, what crypto could do. Because at the at the time, I was trading on centralized exchanges like Binance and and Bitmex and all that stuff. You know, it was basically, as far as I could tell, it was it was the same as what we do in in traditional finance. It was just a lot worse, but it was like effectively exactly the same, except the exchanges like technology was just way worse. The market was a lot less efficient and the exchanges like just were super risky from just a counterparty perspective. Like, you know, like the Bitfinex kind of situation and, and obviously Quadriga and all that stuff. Uh, so it, it seemed to me that like, okay, you know, what I was doing was was crypto, but but not really, I felt. And it seemed to me that, you know, DeFi was how crypto was actually going to change finance. And so I was interested from it, you know, in, in DeFi from very early on. But at that time, the space was so small that there was no way that I felt I could get involved, like on a professional basis, just because it was too small. And then kind of towards the end of 2019, Compound was really starting to show some success, which was cool because, you know, I think at that time it was basically Compound and, and Maker were basically like the only two things in all of crypto that showed any success at all. And it seemed to me that it sort of it sort of proved that DeFi, you know, could do something. And and I wanted I wanted to stay in crypto and I always kind of wanted to start a company and and you know the success of compound felt to me like it was the the real start of an interest rate market. I thought it was really cool and and basically I thought you know the next logical step for the space was going to be the ability to lend and borrow at fixed rates of interest. That just seemed to me to be like, DeFi is going to be a big thing. This is a big opportunity in DeFi, and it's completely not non-existent right, at that time. And so basically, I left my job and moved to San Francisco, where I met my, my co-founder at a hackathon. And then we started Notional together full-time in January 2020. Uh, yeah, so that's how it started. Yeah, and you you bring up a lot of good points there. I remember back in the 2017 ICO craze, you know, I was aping into a bunch of ICOs that I didn't do any research on back then, but that's when I first got into the space. And yeah, you had to go to Binance to find these tokens, you know, if they were available and if they just happened to be listed on Binance. And then it was like, could you even, if you you know, you got to send your Ether to Binance and then do the trade. And then you might not even be able to withdraw those new tokens to your wallet. And yeah, that that's not really decentralized finance. I mean, you can like 
basically back then it was like you could send Bitcoin to another address. That's decentralized. You could send Ether to another address. That's decentralized. And then, yeah, once Uniswap came around and it's like, oh, I can just do this swap on chain using a smart contract and not have to worry about having Binance custody my assets, which, like you said, is a huge counterparty risk, which is one of the main things that we're trying to get away from in DeFi is that counterparty risk. And, you know, saying all this, reiterating this, because I I think we want to touch on this a a little bit more when when we talk a little bit more about Notional. But so you met your co-founder and y'all decided that you're going to start a fixed rate borrowing and lending protocol platform. I guess, where did you see, did you see a need for that in the market? And I guess, what kind of inspired the founding of this protocol? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. So I would say that what inspired the founding was just kind of like, so actually both Jeff and I both had the same idea. So, so I, you know, I, I think about it from my perspective as, you know, I had the idea, but also actually incidentally, so did Jeff, you know, when, when we met each other, we, we met at a hackathon and we both came with the same idea, which is, which is pretty cool. But you know, when I, like when I say, when you talk about, was there a need, I think it was at that time, it was very much like a, a, a gut level decision that like, it was a big bet. It was a big bet on DeFi and just a bet that like, you know, fixed rates were going to be important because I think if you're, you know, if you're honest, like at that time, DeFi was like max $200 million in assets, you know, max, like all through all of DeFi. So it's like, was there really a need for, for anything? You know, it's like it, it based on that amount of uh, traction, it's, it's, it's not clear. Right. So, you know, I think every, if you're doing something in DeFi at that time, you were just, you were really taking a risk that like that anybody was going to care about DeFi at all kind of beyond this very very small group of people that did so yeah so i i think like i but i just felt that coming from my background i just felt it was inevitable because you know in, in general like when you when you look at sort of lending markets whether it's in you know centralized crypto markets or it's in traditional finance it's almost you're almost always getting fixed rates of interest. And that's just generally because like in the absence of technological constraints, people choose fixed rates because they just generally prefer fixed rates because they want to know exactly how much interest they're gonna they're gonna earn or exactly how much they'll have to pay. Like if you just say, you know, if you have both options available to you, in general, what you see is that people generally prefer fixed rates. And so I felt that. You know, that there was going to be, if there was going to be a DeFi space at all, there is going to be a, uh, a need for this. So, yeah, so that's kind of how I, how I thought about it. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I think another reason that people do want fixed rates is just like from a forecasting and budgeting standpoint, right? Like if I'm going to borrow to purchase a house, I'm going to want that to be a fixed rate because that is that, that little you know, a little movement in that interest rate and a variable rate on a mortgage can affect your loan payment, you know, sometimes hundreds of dollars, which could affect, you know, your budgeting. So, and I think, you know, a lot of companies and retail individuals like that aspect, but I think, it, and there's other interest rate type of protocols that are popping up or interest, fixed interest types of features that we're seeing in DeFi. So I guess my next question is, you know, how does Notional work and how does Notional differentiate itself from some of the other fixed rate actors that are out there? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll give you kind of the, the quick technical overview here. So the core concept in Notional is what we call Fcash. And Fcash is, it's a lot like a zero coupon bond in that it is defined by a, a currency type and a maturity date. So for example, March 1st, 2022, USDC. That is an Fcash token, and it is redeemable for one USDC on its maturity date, March 1st, 2022. So you can think about that as representing USDC at a specific 
point in the future. And um, the way we enable fixed rate lending and borrowing is by allowing you to trade between USDC today and USDC in the future, right? And you think as a lender, what, what you're doing is you are selling your USDC today and you're buying a fixed amount of USDC in the future. And the exchange rate at which you trade between USDC today and USDC on March 1st implies a fixed interest rate over that period of time. Yeah, so, so you know, just to give you an example, if you're, if you're a lender, you want to lend 100 USDC, let's say you come to Notional, you sell your 100 USDC, and you get back 101 March USDC in return. So what that means is that you know on March 1st, you're going to have 101 USDC. So you will have made you know, one USDC in interest over two months. So that's a, uh, you know, that's a 6% annual return. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Okay. And so basically, if I take my 100 USDC and I lend it on the Notional platform, I then receive 101 March 1st, 2022 USDC which at that point I can claim on that date for 101 USDC, or I could trade that on the open market. And is there a secondary market already for this Fcash? Yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, like that, that's, that's absolutely right. You, you, um, you did a good job of, you know, kind of uh, ex- explaining that. So uh, what I would say is that, you know, Notional operates liquidity pools, there's one liquidity pool for each maturity. So, you know, we'll have a liquidity pool that's kind of like a Uniswap pool where we have USDC on one side and March 1st USDC on the other side. So actually, when you're lending, what you're doing is you're putting your USDC into this liquidity pool and you're taking out March USDC in return. And then anytime prior to maturity, you can go do the opposite, right? You can take your March 1st USDC and go put it back into that pool and, and get some USDC back in return. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like, you know, a, a mental model of how, how it actually works. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And so why the name F-Cash? Is there any significance behind the F before the cash? Yeah, <laughs> so actually, um, we started calling it Future Cash. And then our lawyers advised us to not call future cash because <laughs> uh, they felt that the word future uh, was just too much like, I don't know, it was risky because they thought maybe it might look like a future or something. So we changed it to app cash. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And so who are your target users? Are you looking for retail users? to utilize this protocol? Are you looking for DAOs or, or more crypto native institutions? Who are y'all targeting here? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say that it, okay, so it depends. On Ethereum L1, we are not looking for sort of retail users to use Notional directly because of its high fees, right? So if you want to use Notional with a relatively small dollar amount, like right now, because Notional currently only exists on Ethereum, it doesn't really make financial sense for you to do that. Now, having said that, like, you know, we are pursuing an L2 strategy where we're going to have, you know, instances of Notional on different L2s. And I think that that sort of pain point will be eased significantly. So I would say that the, the, you know, the users kind of depend on what chain we're talking about, right? I think that on Ethereum L1, a lot of the users are basically, so basically right now it's, you know, it's very high dollar amounts on average. So I think the last time I checked, something like the average dollar amount per active account on Notional was something like, you know, a million dollars, maybe maybe 800K, right? So it's pretty large dollar amounts. And I think a lot of these people are sort of, you know, it's pretty whale heavy. So we have funds and, uh, you know, just people with, with a lot of crypto. I think that we are sort of, you know, 
so we launched Notional V2 in November. And after kind of going through the initial the initial work that was related to the launch, we really tried to focus on protocol partnerships. Because I think that that is kind of, in my opinion, you know, it's it's the future of of being a DeFi protocol on Ethereum L1. I think that ultimately what you're going to see is that the users on Ethereum L1 are going to be high dollar value accounts. So, so like big funds for one, it's going to be DAOs for two, although we, you know, I think that to date that is sort of more promise than reality. And then number three, it's going to be protocol partnerships, right? So like something like, you know, like what we're building with, with index, right? With this fixed product where the idea is that there's, you know, one big product that interacts with Notional directly. And then, you know, the end users sort of interact that product in a much cheaper and more passive fashion. And all the sort of like complexity, all the kind of management is pushed onto the protocol, right? And, and I think we're seeing that, you know, Index is one example of that. Another example of that is, is our upcoming integration with Yearn. So, you know, Yearn is going to be lending on Notional in, in their USDC and Dive Vaults. And, you know, we're really excited to sort of get that going. But it's just another example of like the protocol being the sort of main interaction with, with Notional on, on Ethereum L1. And then the users sort of interacting with this partner protocol. How does that? Yeah, that definitely does. Man, it sounds like y'all have got a lot of irons in the fire too, which is exciting from a, a business development standpoint as well. I want to touch on something you said related to your average wallet size or the average user is, I guess, utilizing about $800,000 million. And, and if that's your average, I mean, it, it definitely feels like more of a whale or institutional related protocol. But do you feel that way? And I guess the other question I have is, what is your TVL right now with those types of averages? I haven't looked at at, at that average figure lately, and, and and it might not be correct. But the kind of the last time, so somebody brought this up and and threw out that number, and it feels you know directionally correct. I think right now we have something on the order of three hundred fifty million in TVL, and I think we have something like, you know, 600 or 650 active users. So I guess that works out to, you know, maybe half a million dollars. So it's gone down a little bit, but it's still, it's still quite large as for, you know, an, an average capital per user. To be honest with you, I think it, it makes sense just from the fact that like Ethereum gas fees are so large and in the context of a lending protocol, you really need to be using large dollar amounts or it just doesn't make sense. I think it's slightly different if you're talking about a trading protocol. Let's say you want to buy $10,000 worth of Ether, $100 or $200 fee to do that isn't that much, right? Because you're probably buying your Ether and you're expecting to make 3x or something on it, right? But if you're talking about you you want to lend your $10,000 for six months, at a uh, at a nine percent interest rate, your total expected profit is is like four hundred fifty dollars, right? So so that gas fee is is a huge pain. So as a lending protocol, like I think that the necessary dollar amount for it to make sense on Ethereum L one is really quite high. Yeah, I understand that. And another thing you touched on was you felt like. The prom, you know, DAOs getting involved with Notional is probably more of a promise than a reality. And I think we've felt that as well from the index co-op. You know, I think we're starting to develop more products that are maybe DAO treasury oriented, like this fixed product that we'll get into uh, in this partnership with Notional. But also there's pay that we're working on, which is like a DeFi aggregated stablecoin yield product. And we're hoping that that might attract more Dow treasuries. But why do you feel like that that's, it's been more promise than execution? Like, why do you feel like Dow's are just would rather hold their native token in their treasury, uh, which it seems crazy to me? 
that's a good question. I think, you know, just the, the number one thing here is that I think lately there have been people that are, that are talking a lot about this, but I think a lot of people still don't know that most DAOs hold almost all of their assets in their native token, right? So I think that the, the number of DAOs that, that hold stable coins is really quite small. Even the DAOs that do hold stable coins, the, you know, the, the amount of stable coins that they hold is, is also very small relative to, to their total assets. So I think like, you know, the reality is, is that uh, th- there just actually isn't very much stablecoin capital in DAOs. So there's not a lot of stuff to actually manage. I think like that's the reality here. There won't be, I, I guess, until, you know, these DAOs decide to, to raise money. And I think like, you know, as for why people haven't done that or that these DAOs haven't done that, it's hard for me to speculate. I, I could imagine that, you know, maybe their token holders don't want them to raise money because if they raise money, then they're selling a bunch of tokens. I could, you know, I, I would say that after having our token live now for three months and sort of experiencing what uh, a lot of people in DeFi are like from, from a governance standpoint, I could see that very easily being the reason why DAOs have decided not to diversify. Just like, you know, I could see there being a lot of sort of grassroots backlash from the idea of like, you know, dumping a whole bunch of supply on the market. You know, maybe that's it. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, the index co-op, we we did diversify our treasury. You know, we've got, I think, a few months. Well, it, this happened like, I think, three and then six months back. But we ended up getting about... $8 million in USDC. So we've got that in our treasury. And, you know, we feel pretty safe and secure having that in there. And I feel like we're pretty lucky that we were able to implement at least some sort of treasury diversification strategy uh, just to assist in this bear market, at least. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's because, I mean, DAOs are, when it comes to it, the majority of DAOs have only come to fruition like in the past few months or a year during the bull market, right? And so maybe just... I don't know. Everyone's just so used to token number going up and treasury getting bigger because of that. And I think now maybe that we've experienced these highs and lows in the bear markets that maybe we'll start to see like future implementation of more strategic DAO treasury management in the future, or at least I hope so. And that's kind of what the index co-op and I think y'all are betting on a little bit too. Um, But another thing, uh, Let's talk about the governance of the notional finance protocol. How is it governed? I know that you have a token. How involved is the community? Do you are you governed uh, through token governance? How does all of that work? Yeah. So so first of all, you know, well done on the on the diversification. And kind of as you're saying, you you guys are one of the few. So you know, well done. And and I think that I think you are probably right. You know, there's a lot of bias. Everybody's seeing the number going up. Nobody wants to sell because everybody thinks it's going to infinity. But I think you're right that kind of as we go forward and and as like, you know, these DAOs need like cash to, to continue operating, we'll probably see more treasury diversifications. I think I think it'll probably just take time, as you might expect. So okay. All right. So then notional governance. So Notional has a, uh, a governance token, a native token, the note. And right now, the protocol, we're sort, of, we're sort of in the process of decentralizing. So again, we, we launched Notional V2 along with our note token a little under three months ago. So we're kind of in the process of decentralizing right now. So Notional is owned by a, a multi-sig at the moment. So it is not actually owned by the governance contract on chain, although we are in the process of moving to that. You know, we want to involve the community as much as we can. And, and sort of so far, that's been via uh, votes on Snap that we execute. That's been kind of how we've done it so far. You know, another thing with the node token, we're actually kind of pretty soon here going to be implementing a staking module. And that was kind of based off, off the feedback of the community. The, the first couple of months since launch. And what that's going to do is it's going to give us, you know, both additional insurance 
for users on the platform. So it, it kind of like Aave's safety module, if you're, if you're familiar with that, people are going to be able to stake their note, provide insurance to the users on the protocol. So in the event of any hack, their funds will be used to recapitalize the protocol. But in return, they will get an explicit share of the notional protocol revenue. So notional protocol is, is to use the revenue that it generates or use um, you know, a portion of the revenue that it generates to buy back notes and give that note directly to those who have staked note. So it's basically a way for token holders to directly experience the upside of the protocol's success while also strengthening the protocol by, by providing insurance to users on the platform. So we're, we're hoping to push that, have that live running next month. Hey, that's really interesting. And did you say Ave does this as well? Yeah, that's right. So, so Ave, it, it's called the, the safety module and it's, it's pretty similar in design to us. So the way it works is like you take your Ave and you can stake it into the safety module and you stake it as like 80, 20 balancer LP liquidity. So it's also actually providing liquidity at the same time. And basically like the safety module is like a first line of, or maybe it's a last line of defense, but it is some line of defense against a hacking or an insolvency. I think Ave has some sort of protocol reserves, just like Notional. And the idea is that, you know, in the event of a hack or in the event of a protocol insolvency, you know, Notional is going to use its own reserves to, to make sure that, that lenders are whole. But in the event that our reserves aren't good enough, the people that stake in this module provide an extra layer of sort of backstopping to users who have put their capital on, on the platform. And is there a time frame for the lockup period for the note token in that safety module? Yeah, so you can redeem whenever you want, but you'll you'll be subject to a cooldown period. And we haven't finalized it. I think it's going to be 14 days. Okay, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I it's always, you know, everyone wants staking, everyone wants to use their token to generate additional yield and uh, that's something that the index co-op kind of prides itself on is that, you know, we have a lot of unincentivized TVL. And I think that can say a lot about your protocol as well. And it's it's hard. And we're working with the tokenomics of the index token as well. It's difficult to create an incentive structure aligns both holders, users, contributors, all the stakeholders of the protocol DAO organization, however you want, however you want to call it. So yeah, that's really interesting. I I, I kind of like that model that y'all are looking at there. Let's talk about the treasury a little bit more. What revenue drivers do y'all have to the treasury? Do y'all charge a fee against, you know, people who are borrowing at a fixed rate? Or how does or do you do you take a little bit of interest on top? How are y'all generating revenue for the protocol? Yeah, so so first of all, just you know, kind of to your comment about the sort of the staking module and t- tokenomics more generally, I totally understand what you're talking about. I think it's like it's very like it's it's very hard uh, to to design like a tokenomics um, plan that that really works well, and and a lot of the reason I think it's difficult is that. Oftentimes, the people that are the loudest are, you know, I don't want to say they're the ones you should listen to the least, but like, you know, you're not, if you're just listening to the people in the community, like you, you might not be hearing all sides, you know? And so I think like, it's something we really wanted to stress. We wanted to make sure that when you're, when you're staking your notes, you're providing value. You know, you're, it's not just like, it's a way of like earning more note. It's also we really wanted to make sure that it was providing more value to, to the system as a whole. You know, we, we really wanted to make, make that true. Yeah, so, so that, that was just one, one thing. And then as for sort of uh, Notional's protocol revenue, basically we, we generate revenue in, in two ways. So the first is a straight up sort of transaction fee. Anytime someone borrows or lends, we take small fee 
on any of those transactions. So that's one sort of revenue stream. The other revenue stream comes from Notional's integration with Compound. So basically right now, it was a big upgrade in Notional V2. We are integrated with Compound so that basically liquidity providers on Notional put in C tokens instead of the underlying token. So that enables them to earn compound interest at the same time as they're earning liquidity fees on Notional. So it really increases their uh, their returns, which is, which is really important for Notional. And a effect of that is that Notional earns a lot of comp incentives because essentially right now our entire TBL is sitting on compound. So Notional, the protocol, is earning a lot of comp incentives because of that. We are actually, if you look at Compound, Notional is the single largest lender on Compound, which is kind of an interesting statistic, but uh, it's true. Yeah, that is interesting. And have y'all looked at maybe diversifying the protocols y'all use for the the composability? I mean, have you looked at Aave as well in, in kind of almost like in an aggregator sort of way, look at see where... I don't know which interest rate benefits the the borrower and the user best. Yeah, we we have. I mean, so so we started out with Compound because what we wanted to prioritize more than anything was security, and we felt at the time we we designed Notional V two that Compound was sort of the gold standard in terms of protocol security. We we felt confident that you know they weren't going to list the collateral assets that you know, we would think is too risky. And we we just like, you know, Compound doesn't change a lot, which in some ways makes it really good to build on because you can just be very confident that it's going to be stable. That's why we selected Compound. Now, having said that, we are currently in the process of upgrading the, the system to allow uh, or to support Aave as well. You know, we're going to be able to integrate with Aave in the same way that we integrate with Compound. And that's going to be really important because it's going to allow us to go to L2. And one, because one of the things about Compound is that it is only on Ethereum L1. So it's not on, it's not on Polygon, it's not on Arbitrum, or you know, it's not anywhere else. So integrating with Aave is going to allow us to sort of be on L2, which is, which is really important. And then going forward, we might also at some point, look at integrating Yearn in a similar way, although we have not, we have not decided whether or not, whether or not we're going to do that. But but we're considering it. Yeah, yeah. That's always puzzled me a little bit about Compound is to just why it's only on mainnet, and I guess they do have the Compound Treasury, which is for institutions, and maybe that that's becoming more of a focus for them now. And then just comparing that to Aave, you know, Aave is almost on, you know, they're on Avalanche and Polygon and they're, I think they're working on Arbitrum or Optimism as well. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. It's just interesting to see those two different sites. And obviously Compound has less assets listed from a interest rate market standpoint on their protocol. Okay. Uh, something yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get my head around here. Uh, well, I don't know. Did, did you have something you wanted to say right there? Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want to, like, I think it's actually just kind of interesting. We started designing Notional V2, like, a long time ago. Because, <laughs> you know, everything in crypto, it's sort of like the time between when you start designing it and when it's launched in production is so long. Because it just, it takes a long time to to figure out the design and then build it and then test it and then audit it. Like, just the whole process takes so long. So when we started designing it, like Compound was firmly in the lead, you know? And then at the time we launched, you know, kind of to your point, like Compound hasn't been very aggressive in sort of like, you know, growing beyond Ethereum or, or enlisting other assets. And, and you know, I think we really, you know, you really seen Aave just grabbing market share. And, and it's sort of like we were, yeah, it was just kind of like uh, it was too late for us to change until now. So I don't know, it's kind of just kind of interesting thing. Yeah, it, it really is. But like you said, you know, compound rarely changes, it doesn't have a lot of assets, which also makes it less risky. And it's still well respected from a security standpoint. So but in yeah, like you said, I mean, that's what you want to be if you're building your protocol, 
to, to call functions on, on the compound protocol. That's kind of what you're looking for, though, right? Um, so it, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Something I'm trying to get my head around is that so when the users, the, when the people who are borrowing, right, the borrowers on the notional protocol, they're borrowing at a fixed rate, and that fixed rate is going to have a maturity date, or that loan is going to have a maturity date. It does it automatically pay back, or what happens if a borrower doesn't pay back their debt by the maturity date? So what happens is that the borrower can so once they hit maturity the debt is going to start is going to start accruing interest at a variable rate. If you haven't paid back by maturity your your debt will start accruing interest at a variable rate which is actually equal to the compound supply rate. Now what can also happen uh, after maturity is that you can be rolled forward Okay, so so this is kind of like it's a, like this is a little bit of a tricky concept. So what's going to happen is, like, you know, let's say you've taken out a, a loan and it it's due on March 25th. Okay, so March 25th rolls around. You owe a hundred dollars to the protocol on March 25th, but you haven't paid it back. And then on March 25th, you still owe a hundred dollars, and you still have. What can happen now is once you're past maturity you can become eligible for settlement. So what that means is that a third party can forcibly extend your loan to the next maturity. So essentially a third party can force you to extend your loan to June, right? And so now your debt has been rolled forward to the next maturity at a small penalty to the market rate for that maturity. So if after your debt has matured, let's say the, the, the June interest rate is, is 7%, somebody can roll you forward and your loan will be extended at a 2.5% penalty to that rate. So you will be paying 9.5% until June. So basically, if you don't do anything, you can get rolled forward and, and that's fine. But there's, there's like a little penalty that, you know, is an incentive for the person to roll you forward and kind of a deterrent so that, you know, to try and get you to roll forward yourself. Okay, yeah. And that's it's something that's always kind of difficult for me, at least to wrap my head around, is actually you know, having maturity dates where, you know, the user actually has to go and pay back the loan themselves. I mean, what happens if someone just never pays back the loan that they borrowed? Eventually, you'll get liquidated. Basically, That's right, because there's collateral, right? This isn't unsecured, of course. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, you'll just keep on accruing interest. It's it's the same as like it's the same as compound, right? It's like you put in two hundred dollars of Ethereum and you borrow a hundred dollars. Eventually, you're going to keep paying interest on that hundred dollars, and then and then eventually, the amount you owe is going to be more than the minimum collateralization, and you can be liquidated. Are these partial liquidations or is it just a, a full liquidation of the collateral? So it's it's going to be a partial liquidation. The way it works in Notional is that if you are eligible for liquidation, a liquidator can purchase 40% of your collateral and they can purchase more if you're like super underwater. But the, the sort of the default amount of, of your collateral that they can purchase is 40%. Okay. And is there a second rate for... Or a, is there like a secondary market for, I guess, debt that has extended past the maturity? Well, I guess it all is, is owed back to the protocol. But you did mention a third party could execute the extension. So who would these third parties be in that case? So the third party, it's it's like, okay. So basically the way the settlement action works is it's it's kind of like a liquidation. So... The way it works is that, like, you know, again, so it's March, you haven't paid your debt. The next liquidity pool now matures in June. Okay. So there's there's an active liquidity pool for June. So what the what the settler can do is the settler can lend to you, okay, at, at a penalty rate to the market rate on that liquidity pool. So 
basically what happens, and sorry if this is too comp- you know, this is complicated, but the settler will give you cash and then it's going to, it's going to take positive F cash from you. Okay. Then, you know, like, so basically it's going to lend to you at like nine and a half and then it will execute an arbitrage trade against the uh, June maturity. So the way it works in practice is that the settler, you know, flash loans, so borrows a bunch of USDC, lends to you, and then immediately goes and sells that F cash on the June maturity and pockets a spread, right? So, so that, that 250 basis point penalty is the incentive for the settler to do that. So it works kind of like a liquidation. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me, actually. And God, this is this is a fascinating protocol. I, I love this. And so what I want to talk about now is there was a recent post in the Index Co-op's governance forum about launching a fixed income product suite with the uh, ticker symbol fixed. And that is a partnership, a potential partnership, should it be approved through governance between the Index Co-op and Notional. So I'm wondering if we can dig in a little bit and if you could provide a little background on what this potential new product could be through this partnership. I think fixed is going to be really interesting. So I think the first thing I'd say is that, as you can see in this discussion, Notional is like a pretty sophisticated protocol, right? Like I think the, you know, having these maturity dates just introduces like a layer of complexity and sophistication that is just more complicated than something like a compound, right? So, you know, for people to use Notional, it, it requires a lot of engagement, right? In, in a couple of ways. So one, you, 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 have to, you have to sort of understand how this new way of borrowing and lending works, right? Things are just different with fixed rates. And then you also have to periodically roll your loan. Right. In the same way that, you know, what we were just talking about with, you know, borrowers getting their debt rolled forward. So if you're a lender, you know, let's say you lend to March. Well, then once March happens, you know, you're going to want to continue to earn interest. Right. So you'd want to roll your loan forward. But the problem with that is that, like, you know, it, it costs gas to roll your loan forward. And you also you have to remember to do it. Right. So it like it it takes kind of a lot of engagement from the user. And I think what's really, really cool about fixed is that it just abstracts all that away. So basically for the end user, all they have to do is just buy a token, you know, on Uniswap, which is, you know, like the easiest thing you could possibly do. And then they don't have to, they don't have to roll their loan forward. They don't have to pay the gas cost of maintaining this position it all happens for them. So it just makes it really, really easy. It gives them a really easy way to access the high uh, and stable returns that, that exist on Notional. I think that's really cool because basically right now, you know, Notional has, has really high interest rates relative to you know, other DeFi protocols. So right now, our interest rates are you know, in the sort of 9.5% range which is really, really attractive for lenders, right? In the context of something like, you know, two and a half or 3% on Ovid, right? But the tricky part is that you've got to figure out, like, you know, how this, how this works on Notional and, and you've got to do all the stuff that, that I just talked about. So I think that like this fixed product gives, gives people like a super easy way to access that return without having to, you know, understand all the the nuances and and you know remember to come back every three months and all that stuff so i think it's like i yeah i think it's going to be a really cool product and and i'm really excited yeah so the way i'm understanding it is that this proposed product basically outsources the expertise that you would need to manage these fixed rate positions on your own and just tokenizes them and that is managed by the smart contract or, and the methodologists uh, behind that. Is that is that correct? Yep, 
That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, uh, I think that that is really the model that's going to be successful here in DeFi going forward. You know, it's like you have the protocol sort of like handle all the sophistication because, you know, basically, you know, again, Notional is kind of a sophisticated protocol and and like Index Coop and the methodologists in Index Coop can sort of manage all that complexity and make sure that you get the most out of it. And so you don't have to do any of that yourself. Yeah, well, this is really fascinating. So on the Notional protocol, I mean, what we're looking at from this fixed product suite standpoint, we're looking at USDC short-term or long-term, DAI short-term or long-term, same thing with WBTC and Ethereum short-term or long-term. I guess like what would be the difference between these these products outside of the i guess base asset you know what what benefits would someone have from purchasing a usdc short term fixed product uh, versus a usdc long term fixed product that's a good question so i think you know right now there is the difference in the base asset like what you talked about now as for the difference between you know short term or long term I think the the idea is that we're going to start with the short term just because it's like the the simplest one to bring to market. But, you know, I think that as we go forward, what I would expect to see is now this might not necessarily be true, but but what I expect to see is that the the longer term product would actually have a higher yield than the shorter. Right. And that's basically because, you know, in general, in finance and 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 this isn't true yet. In notional, I think notional still needs to sort of mature a little bit. But in general, in finance, you see what's called an an upward sloping yield curve, and what that means is that the the interest rate for for a shorter maturity is usually less than the interest rate for a longer maturity. So, for example, you know if you're lending for six months, you might expect to receive a lower interest rate than if you're lending for a year. That's usually how it works. And, and the reason for that is because you're, as a lender, you're giving up more optionality when you lend for a longer period of time. And so usually people require a higher return to lend for longer periods of time. And so what I would expect to see going forward is that the, the longer term fund would have a higher yield than the shorter term fund. That's what I would expect to see. Now it's crypto. So <laughs> reality doesn't always meet expectations but like that's that would be the reason why you'd buy one maturity term over the other right yeah we are kind of in a very unique interest rate environment where you know we have this inverted yield curve or and we have for like the past several years right but i i could yeah i mean i think it's starting to flatten out and maybe curve back to you know some normalcy kind of like you said but I could also foresee a situation where possibly in the crypto space, maybe it remains inverted because there is, you know, I think uncertainty can play a factor in interest rates as well. And there is, you know, there is a lot of regulatory uncertainty as well as uncertainty around volatility that, you know, maybe it, I don't know, it, it's possible in my mind, at least that that yield curve could continue to stay inverted in the crypto space versus the traditional finance space. Do you foresee anything like that? Or or am I just completely wrong in thinking that that could happen? So first of all, you're definitely not wrong. Um, And and what you've seen so far on Notional is is that. So our yield curves are inverted right now. So the shorter term maturities are higher than the longer term ones. Um, So that's, that's already true. Now, Maybe it'll stay that way. Maybe it'll change. I don't know. But it'll, so far, the reason that that's been true is generally just because the, the people that have borrowed on Notional have preferred a shorter term. And they've been willing to pay higher interest rates at shorter terms than they have in the longer term. So, you know, <laughs> that means an inverted yield curve, which is, it's kind of interesting. Uh, and I think, I think that you know, as we sort of, as Notional kind of gets more adoption and as we sort of these integrations that that we're talking about kind of come online, 
I think that could change things because I think that, you know, some from kind of some of the integrating partners that, that we're speaking to, their lending interest is, is more on a short-term basis. So I think what you could see is that like, again, as these integrations come online, we get more short-term lending interest, which pushes the short-term part of the curve down, but that might not necessarily happen. So I think it's, it's totally possible that, uh, the yield curve stays inverted and like the best opportunities for lenders are on the short end of the curve. That's, that's definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah. And just one other question, because we're kind of running up on time here. What other assets do y'all, I mean, right now it's my understanding you have USDC, DAI, BTC, and ETH uh, available to borrow and lend. Are there any others that I'm missing? And do you foresee a future where you have additional assets to borrow and lend or is it are you looking for more of the highly liquid safe secure from a crypto standpoint types of assets yeah so i think that you know a, a big goal of ours in in kind of the next couple months is going to be to increase the assets on on notional so you know as you said right now we've got four four assets in total right we've got eth bitcoin usdc and dai and yeah, we are going. We are going to onboard more collateral types and also different lendable and borrowable currencies. So I think that you know what's really like what I'm excited about is is listing other sort of stable coins to lend and borrow. So I think that you know something like Bay or Rye, I think it'd be really interesting stuff. And you know I've, we've spoken with those two teams and think that there could be some uh, cool use cases to come out of that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're just looking forward to sort of like broadening the scope of Notional to to just encompass kind of more users and use cases and all that stuff. But like, you know, to be honest, we've just been we've been working really hard on, on what we have to do right now. And so we haven't been able to add additional assets at this time, but that's definitely coming. Awesome. Well, Teddy, this has been a fascinating conversation for me. And I have a traditional finance background as well. And I've done my fair share of interest rate swaps back in the day or recently, actually. So yeah, this is this has been a great conversation. Um, before we let you go, why don't you just let the audience and those who are listening to the recording know, where can we go to find out more about you, Teddy, and Notional Finance? If you want to learn more about Notional, you can visit our website. That's notional.finance. You can also follow us on Twitter at Notional Finance, or you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Teddy Woodward. All right. Thanks to everyone who's listening live in the audience. This is being recorded, so we'll get the transcript up and going, and we will publish this next week. Everyone have a great weekend. And Teddy, thanks again for coming on the show and talking to us today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Great questions. It was fun. Absolutely. All right. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.